Every kid dreams of being part of their school play, or at least I did. Seeing your parents in the audience, eyes sparkling with pride, there's just no better feeling. I got to be and feel that as a six-year-old my very first time on stage. And let me tell you, it wasn't just any play, not just any character. It was a play about the history of this country, and I got to be none other than the Statue of Liberty herself. I'm here looking at the picture of little Liz on that day, and she is beaming. Torch in hand, crown on her head, ready to walk out on that stage and sing the Star-Spangled Banner, our national anthem, for a crowded room of family and friends of the Summerdale Stars. When someone hears the national anthem at a naturalization ceremony or at the Olympics, the song is meant to instill a sense of pride in the United States, just like my parents felt watching me in that school play. Some of us may even well up with tears at the sound of that first note. And I mean, the song really is the definition of patriotism. During the War of 1812, Francis Scott Key, an American being held aboard a British ship during the Battle of Fort McHenry, watched helplessly from the water as cannons destroyed the fort. After hours of uncertainty, the sight of the U.S. flag still waving at dawn was his only signal that they hadn't been defeated. That sight became inspiration for a powerful poem about a triumphant America. And that poem became the Star-Spangled Banner. And that's just part of the history. What you probably didn't know is that there's another version of the song, a Spanish version. It's called El Bendón Estrellado. To tell that story, we have to fast forward about 130 years to when the country was in the midst of another crisis. The United States is in a deep, deep economic recession. Authoritarianism is spreading throughout Europe and elsewhere. Uh, and uh, in Latin America and the Caribbean, there had been quite a bit for over a decade uh, strong anti-American feelings about what the United States was doing, particularly in the Caribbean. And if we didn't engage, then the Italian fascism and German fascism was going to increase their presence and their influence. The threat of fascism was enough of a motivator for the U.S. to seek better relations with Central and South America. The new approach to the region was dubbed the Good Neighbor Policy. Its goal, to emphasize cooperation and trade, rather than military force, to maintain stability in the hemisphere. To talk more about this, we've invited Dr. Frank Mora to the Pulso podcast. Dr. Mora is a professor of politics and international relations at Florida International University and was the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for the Western Hemisphere during President Barack Obama's first term. The good neighbor policy really began with Franklin Delano Roosevelt. FDR, when he was inaugurated in March of 1933, he made clear reference to a shift in our policy and in our approach to Latin America and the Caribbean, and he called it the good neighbor. So there were three dimensions. One is, was a commitment that the United States would not interfere and that would respect the sovereignty of Latin American countries and withdraw all U.S. military forces occupying countries in the Western Hemisphere. That was a clear signal of a dramatic shift in our relationship with Latin America. Two, there was an economic dimension. How do we recapture markets? Roosevelt began to sign a number of bilateral economic 
agreements that would give access to Cuban sugar uh, and Nicaraguan coffee, etc., to U.S. markets that had been closed off as long as those countries opened their markets to our products because FDR understood that if we were going to get out of the depression, if we were going to stimulate our economy, we needed to expand the size of our market beyond the United States and into these countries. And third, there was a soft side, the cultural diplomacy, as it was known then, it was known as soft power. Just expanding the good word of American culture. Some people might interpret this as cultural imperialism, but you saw throughout the region magazines and movies. The U.S. Embassy in Asuncion would take a movie produced for the purpose of Latin America, and they would travel from Asuncion to the middle of the countryside, taking the film in an ox cart and then finding some white wall and just throw the image of the movie onto the wall so that the campesinos could see American society and culture. The cultural component of this was about how do we compete in the region and how do we compete with the notion that our ideas, that our values are better than the other guys, right? The idea was that we need to have a presence, we need to expand, we need to deepen our presence and our relationships in the region. Uh, and we're going to do it economically, sure, but we're going to do it through culture, right? And through establishing these relationships. And one of the ways FDR aimed to do this was by commissioning a version of the Star-Spangled Banner in Spanish. The lyrics had already been translated, but his administration saw an opportunity to use the anthem as a conduit for spreading U.S. patriotism throughout Latin America. So in 1945, FDR made an open call of sorts, and many composers and artists submitted their Spanish interpretations of the iconic song. The winning lyrics were authored by Clotilde Arias, a Peruvian immigrant. Clotilde was a New York-based composer of advertising jingles for companies like Alka-Seltzer, Ford, and Campbell's Soup. She became a U.S. citizen just a few years before that open call in 1942, about two decades after arriving in New York City from Iquitos, Peru, at the age of 22. Clotilde received nothing but praise for her lyrics. Music critics concluded that the translation stays true to the original meaning while showcasing the poeticism of the Spanish language. Clotilde and her version of the anthem were definitely an extension of U.S. diplomacy. The State Department used her version, which is the only official translation of the national anthem allowed to be sung, by the way, to send to Latin American consulates in the U.S., as well as to the countries themselves, all in our pursuit of being good neighbors. But despite playing such an important role in U.S. foreign policy with Latin America, El Pendón Estrellado has been swept under the rug of forgotten American history. That is, until Claudia Romo Edelman helped breathe new life into the anthem. We wouldn't even know about this version of the anthem if it weren't for Claudia's organization, the We Are All Human Foundation, and their campaign, Hispanic Stars. Here's Claudia talking about the first time she heard El Pendón Estrellado. It was so powerful. Every one of us started crying. Hispanics and non-Hispanics. It was so moving. Everybody felt like the, you know, like the, the cold sweat in your spine going through and saying like, 
this is going to be historic. This uh, very awarded uh, person, his name is Per Pedersen with Pepe Aguilar, who are really the, the parents of the Hispanic star. They came up with it. The national anthem was used in 1912 by the Smithsonian Museum. Uh, they sang it in a chorus in a, in a small choir there at the museum. But we wanted to bring it main stage. And I imagine picking someone to fill that main stage must have been tough. But you chose someone special to perform a rendition worthy of this song. Puerto Rican artist J.D. Mar Rijos. J.D. Mar is perfect. J.D. Mar is perfect for so many reasons. Uh, number one, she won La Voz, the voice. So we needed a voice. So, so that by itself was perfect. Secondly, she's Afro-Latina. And... Uh, and, and as such, she represents a lot of the diversity of the Latino community, the Hispanic community. And I think that it is very important for all of us to recognize that. And then with that voice of the angels, God, I mean, like, she's just incredible. So she was our first and most important choice. Ever since I was little, my dream was always to sing the anthem, the Star Spangled Banner. Here's J.D. Mad herself winner of the inaugural season of Telemundo's La Voz, to tell us more about her journey to the anthem. The studio was beautiful. The people that worked there were beautiful human beings. A beautiful atmosphere in the studio with all of us just feeling the anthem so much. The lyrics, the melody, I still can't believe it. The fact that this could end up in history books in the future and that maybe... Like 75 years from now, a kid is going to be like, oh, today I'm going to be singing the anthem in Spanish. It was first sung by J.D. Marrijos in 2020. <laughs> it just blows my mind. But right, I just have to live the moment. It's the first time that it's being actually sang, uh, that it was, it's actually being taken into consideration and in such a beautiful way. I feel so proud to be like, hey, we're the first people to do it. And even the people that are not singing it, they still know, like, I have them. I, I'm doing this because of them, because of the whole community. So they are also the singers of this. That's why we're so proud. And this is opening doors for other Latinos so that in, in the future, they can do things like this. So radical. This song has different meanings for different people. There is the pride element that we've been talking about. And then, of course, it's also the backdrop of protests against racism and injustice. How do you reconcile the tension between what El Pendón Estrellado represents and the anthem in the context of protests that Black community is leading? I am totally, totally, totally agreeing with the protests of Black Lives Matter. And I'm all for it. I'm all for it, really. We're not doing this because we want to. It's because we have to. So this anthem is almost like that. It's, it's really, there's a form of kneeling too. I've read comments of people hating on it and being like, why do you have to do that? The lyrics are fine just as they are. So yes, this is us also, you know, I hope they blast this anthem everywhere, <laughs> everywhere, because we want to be seen. We want to be known. There are moments when we get to truly take in how far we've come as a nation. Listening to an Afro-Latina flawlessly singing El Pendón Estrellado, our national anthem, is one of them. 
sutil clarea lo que erguido se alzó cuando el sol se ocultaba y sus franjas y estrellas en el rudo luchar sobre recio baluarte Gallardo ondulaba y la bomba lanzar su rojiza explosión en la noche dio a fe que allí estaba el pendón. El pendón estrellado tremó la feliz en la tierra del valor. You can subscribe to the Pulso Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews help us get our message to Latinos around the country. The Pulso Podcast is produced and edited by Charlie Garcia. Lisanne Ramos is our researcher. Original music by Julian Blackmore. Our cover art was designed by Jonathan Torres. And I'm your host, Liz Alarcón. The voices you hear in our intro... That's the Pulso team. Thanks for listening. Hey, Pulso fam. I want to tell you all about Atlas Lingue, a Studio Ochenta podcast about language, culture, and communication. Have you ever wondered what your cat is trying to tell you? Or how Disney Pixar writers craft stories that resonate across numerous languages? Atlas Lingue host Luis Lopez explores these topics and so much more. It's a show about the confusing, wonderful, and weird world of language, and this season, they're diving deep into the language of culture online. They're interviewing content creators from different countries who document their daily lives and cultural backgrounds on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. New episodes air every other Monday wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also watch all the interviews on their YouTube channel at 80 Podcasts.